0: Last week, we heard the run-up to this gospel, today's gospel, when Jesus asked, you know, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He asked that to his disciples. Who do people say, the crowds, those who kind of drop in and drop out, who do they say that I am? They essentially tried to fit him into the category of a prophet, like John the Baptist, like Jeremiah or Elijah. But those who shared life with Jesus knew something different. So when he said, who do you say that I am? They knew that that category of prophet was inadequate to describe Jesus. You are the Christ, the son of God. Peter responded. Those who share life with Jesus know him at a different level. And so last week I suggested some ways of meditating on how we share life with Jesus. Those who share life spend time with one another. They're intentional about conversing with one another. So I held up as an image of that. What came to my mind, is that, that was the image of my parents. You know, we get up early in the morning to talk with one another. Dad grinds the beans, makes the coffee, and they sit and talk for half hour, or hour before the day gets going. And from my vantage point last week, it was enjoyable to see the expressions on many faces here for... As I said that, I saw these dreamy looks on the faces of women. Wouldn't that be nice? And I saw some. And then some men's faces that were clearly not as keen on that. You're killing me. Keep what your dad does to yourself. Father. Men and women are different. In this past week, I, uh, trained uh, many new altar servers. We're transitioning to an all boy serving crew and an all girl sacristaning crew. Certainly, the girls who are currently serving are invited to, to continue, but we're moving in that direction. Now, I've been hesitant to do that throughout my priesthood, I'm 17 years ordained. It's one thing for a transgender athlete to take away female sports in locker rooms and bathrooms. It's an outrage when a priest would have an all-boys server crew. So I've been hesitant to do that until over the past year or so, uh, coming to know um, Sheila Gramley, who directs our religious formation program and who has significant, substantial experience with the development of children. And as she spoke of that, along with other things, I saw a real logic to that. I mean, just as one example, as I suspect you'll identify with, the boys are especially competitive. Especially competitive. If you want anything done, well, make it a competition. The boys will do it. And we know for sure that girls mature earlier. It's just the way things are, right? Don't worry, you'll catch up, all right? (laughs) But girls mature earlier, and as any priest will tell you, it's easier to get a girl to do serving things than to get a boy. No offense, right? It's just the way things are, but the competitive boys, when they don't win, what happens? Well, they tend to quit, and the girls lose interest because, well, it's not a future possibility to serve at the altar. Now, we do understand there's a sacrifice involved, boys who want to sacristan, girls who want to serve. But we also understand that as fitting preparation for life, for sacrificing for the good of someone else. But there is that piece of vocational discernment, priesthood, well, that's obvious, but married life as well. So when I was training the boys, we had a number of high school boys involved, which is great. We're giving them additional responsibilities. And so I asked the question, you know, how does this make any sense if you're going to be a father, a husband? How would your vocational discernment be benefited by doing this? And to the real credit of this high schooler and his parents, I would say, he said, well, father, if a dad, is deeply involved in the religious formation of his kids, like teaching them to pray and taking them to Mass. He said they're something like 90% more likely to continue to go to Mass when they're adults. And he might have had the percentage slightly off, but it's true. Last year was the first experience for me training boys alone, and the atmosphere was just different. And then it was noticeable because the girls came in as they were learning how to be sacristans, and the environment just changed dramatically. This year, we hit much more on vocational discernment. So I asked all the boys, you know, what do you, your earliest memory, what is it that you wanted to be when you're really young? What is it that you want to be, wanted it to be? And we had professional athletes and engineers and such. And I asked the question, now what do you want to be? And it was different almost across the board. I said, so things change, right? So it's as though you've got to spend time to discover what it is that you felt called to do, the gifts that you have in you. So there is, I said, a small V vocation that we're called to, occupation, job, but there is that big V vocation that we're also called to. either there's a priest or a parent, husband, wife, or maybe in the religious order. And so here, what are we doing? We're helping you to develop skills in your character, just like the work at school is helping you to do the same thing. You may never use calculus or algebra, but by engaging in that, you're developing your own character and learning something about yourself. And with the older kids, I ended with this, which is where I'll end here with this little segment for you As i invited the older servers you know look at the cross look at the cross and what do you see that's a broad question but it said i see for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life and i see that's jesus offered the gift of himself to his father, offered his yes to him and to all of us. And I suggested, are we not made in God's image and likeness? So is that dynamic of giving not written into the fabric of our very being? And what we're asking of you to do is simply look for the way in which you might come to that in your life so that your life can be as fulfilling and happy as possible. St. Paul said in our second reading, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Our body is an extension into space of ourself. Mind and body are w- part of our composite being. We're composed of both mind and body. Paul obviously is not suggesting that a person can separate his or her body from his or herself and make an offering of it. In the words of St. Augustine, bodies are not ornaments that are fitted from without. The body belongs to the very nature of a human being. It's not a changeable ornament on a Christmas tree, for example. It's an expression of who we are, kind of like language is the expression of our thoughts. The two are tied, bound together. Kids, I am so very, very sorry that you are growing up in a time in which there's such confused and malicious ideas about bodies, sex, gender, and such. Simply because the girl might like to play with trucks, go fishing, and work on cars, for example, doesn't make her any less of a girl. And simply because a boy likes to do things many girls do doesn't make him any less of a boy. Every person is a unique and unrepeatable human being, according to John Paul II. Sex isn't determined by interests and personality traits. It's a real deception to say otherwise, as is saying there's such things as sex change. Let me demonstrate this to you. Each of us have about 30 trillion cells in our body. 30 trillion cells, that's a lot of cells. Every one of them has two X chromosomes, if you're a girl, or an X and a Y chromosome if you're a boy. The surgeries and drugs that are described as changing a person's sex only affect appearances and suppress certain bodily functions. None have an effect on the chromosomes of even one cell. That's scientific verification of the Bible's creation account. God created us male or female. Sex is binary because reproduction is binary. Sex is determined at conception. It's complete deception to say otherwise, which frequently masquerades as compassion. And why do I say that? Because the most extensive research in European countries that have long advocated for gender affirming care indicates clearly that the certainty of benefits from puberty blockers and hormonal treatment is very low. This is why Sweden, Finland, the UK, Norway, the Netherlands, and others have halted or limited access to puberty blockers, gender-affirming care. It looks more and more like it does more harm than good. And this is tragically confirmed in the accounts of people who have tried to detransition, as it's called. Not only are their spirits and bodies left broken, the LGBTQ influencers that were their advocates when transitioning become their antagonist when attempting to de-transition. It is such a hard time to be a kid, which also makes it a very hard time to be a parent. Just this past week, as one example, a mom came into the office for a different errand. I simply asked her how she was doing and she broke down into tears. She said, I had parent, uh, parental controls on all my kids' devices. The two youngest ones were exposed despite my best efforts to this stuff. Will no one help us, she said. Are schools doing anything to prevent this? And yes, what we're attempting to do with sacristans and servers is to provide some little contribution in this area. Parents... I understand this whole gender ideology as basically a transposition into modern America of the Marxism John Paul II confronted with the Soviets. It essentially says that history progresses through conflict, often violent conflict, which may consume the lives of many people so the goal can be obtained. Just think of Russia and Ukraine. 50,000 Russian men have died. Think of the communist regime in the 20th century, up to 120 million of their own people were killed. The conflict and progress occur through the awakening of the oppressed to the way those in power control others through an artificial construct, be it capitalism, the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, race, gender, and what have you. Destroy the construct, gender for example, and history progresses even if it costs the mental health and bodies of adolescents. Don't be deceived. It's not about caring for your children. They are means to achieve that end. And I understand the way that you are related to in this as, and please don't take offense at this Russian term. You are not this, but you are related to as a useful idiot. In the sense that your love for your children is identified as a weakness to be exploited through fear. When you are no longer useful as when you take a stand, then the understanding that you are part of the oppressive construct that needs to be deconstructed shows itself, and your kids are set against you. I say this not simply from what I have read, but I have witnessed it in my own family. Now, here's what I mean by taking advantage of your love. Parents, you're told that if you don't transition a kid, they'll commit suicide. Better a live daughter than a dead son is the prevailing counsel. But you see, there is no evidence that if you don't transition a kid, they'll commit suicide. Suicide occurs at all points of transitioning, and the average time of suicide is six years after they transition. It doesn't solve the problem. Social contagion is a real thing that is peer influence. Kids who spend lots of time online are more vulnerable to this because there's more opportunities for filters to be penetrated and for them to be exposed to a community that inundates kids with support to transition but turns on them if they seek to swim against the tide. And lastly, the vast number of kids who identify as trans have a previous mental health diagnosis something that predisposes them to misguided influences. Remember what parents discovered in the pandemic. Your voices are powerful with schools and school boards. Don't be afraid to speak up and ask questions. Why are these books in the library? Why would the de facto position be to affirm? Would that be done if my child was anorexic and came to you saying she was fat? Aren't you using her body to make that determination? Friends, to follow Christ is inescapably tied to the cross, the point where the world's no encounters Christ's yes to the Father. Be renewed in your mind. Make your yes become visible through your body. It's not a yes if it doesn't. Carry your cross Anything less, as Jesus suggests, bears the mark of the evil one.